Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. So uh, I found this really, really uh, sweet story when I was preparing for this series. And uh, it's, it seems that way back in the day when people bought newspapers, y'all remember, any, anybody old enough remember back? When, yeah, newspapers. Well, there was a young boy who walked into a church uh, on a cold, cold winter's day just to get in out of the blowing snow. And he had been trying to sell newspapers at his new stand, but because of the weather, no no customer would dare come out in that kind of, in those conditions. So he, I literally got this right out of the story. It said this, he slipped into the back of the church just hoping to get warm. Here's my favorite part, and maybe take a quick nap. Y'all really aren't out there at all, are you? I thought that was pretty funny myself. It, anyway. So the boy actually found himself, it was totally by accident, but, the, but this young fella actually found himself listening to the message, and he, was, and he was moved by it. And so when the pastor was done, he called for the offering. I thought that was another funny part of the story. Obviously, y'all don't think that's funny either. After the message, like if he did a really good job, the offering would be good. If he did a really bad I got nothing from y'all. I got nothing. The story is a really sweet story, though. So the ushers were going from row to row, and when the offering plate came to this little boy, he stared at it for a minute, and then he put it on the floor, and he did something really weird. He took the offering plate, he put it on the floor, and then really, without looking around, without really thinking about what he was doing, not concerned about what anybody else thought, he stepped onto, into the offering plate. Now by this time, literally everyone in the church is turned around and staring at this this young fella. And so he looked up with tears running down his face as he said, Pastor, I don't have any money. I don't have any money because I didn't sell any newspapers today. But if Jesus gave his life for me, then it seems like the least I can do would be give my life to him. So if I had to sum up, we've been in the book of Romans, kind of working through the book of Romans, and if I had to sum up Romans chapters 1 through 12, that would would be it. That would be how I would sum it up. Our only reasonable response to all that God has done for us is a total surrender. And if you don't know what God's done for us, then you just need to go back and read those first 11 chapters, because in those 11 chapters, Paul really does a beautiful job. Actually, he does a beautiful job making sure that we're all lost. If you're religious, you're lost. If you think you're good, you're lost. If you're bad, then you know you're lost, right? So he gets everybody lost, and then he presents the gospel, and he says, he says but here's what God did. God, in his great love for us, provided a way out. There's nothing that makes us worthy enough 
Nothing. But Jesus. So our only reasonable response is just total surrender. Fully surrender your life to Jesus. So it's all about... If you're thinking about Christianity, if you're kind of here maybe for the first time kicking the tires of Christianity, then probably you're under the impression, well, then it's all about our relationship with Jesus. And I would say that's the short answer. Absolutely. It's all about our relationship with Jesus. But I would also say that there's more. There's more to it than just our relationship with Jesus. Are you offended yet? Hang on because I'll probably get you there. Maybe that kind of message for somebody. There's more to Christianity than just the hope of heaven. And don't get me wrong, heaven's pretty awesome. And when I think about heaven, I really don't think about just streets of gold and gates of pearl. I don't think about that. I, honestly, for me, to think that I could be in the presence of a God that loves me so much that I couldn't possibly understand his love, And as good as heaven is, there's more to it than that. God actually cares about our really short life here on planet Earth as well. And a better relationship here, a better relationship here will always boil down to better relationships. Always. You can be rich and miserable, and you can know beyond any shadow of a doubt in your mind that money cannot buy happiness. And you can be poor, dirt poor. And you can be happy because you know that the relationships that you have here on planet Earth are the only thing that really makes life on planet Earth really worth living at all. It's the relationships that we build, the community that we, that we have. Doing life with other people is what makes life here bearable. It's not your money. It's not your possessions. So Paul's been writing this letter to this church in Rome, and it's a very diverse church. It's a mixed bag of Jewish believers and Gentile believers, and he's primarily been writing to help them nail down to understand fully the depth of what salvation is all about. Now, they come from different backgrounds, right? We've already talked about this. They come from different backgrounds. They come from religious backgrounds where it's about keeping the law. It's about uh, jumping through all of the, the right hoops. And, and so Paul says, listen, G Jesus came to satisfy the law. It's, it's not about the law anymore. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. And so he's trying to help these people understand the beauty of what salvation really is. So they come from different backgrounds across the spectrum of Roman society, from the very rich and influential to the very, very poor. And God brought these vastly different people into this very diverse, complicated, messy Irritating at times, beautiful thing called Christian community. Did you, did you get all that? Because if you've, if you've done church at all, then you know that it's messy, that it's complicated. Because we're all fallible humans, right? Y'all out there, right? 
We're all fallible, right? Yeah, man, we're all messed up. And so sometimes Christian community can be extremely difficult. And can I just say that I think diversity is awesome. I love diversity. I've been thinking through and processing over the last few years, I guess, of, you know, my spiritual, develop, my, my spiritual development has happened more from the interaction that I've had, the conversation that I've had with people who, who see things differently than me, believe differently than me. They've expounded my knowledge. They've, they've, they've pushed the boundaries for me to, to make me study harder to figure out what I believe. I love diversity. We actually pray that God will bring more diverse people to Springwell. We love diversity, but let's be honest, diversity can divide. Look at our country. So Paul's writing this letter. When he gets to chapter 14, he says, I want you to know that our differences don't have to divide us. that sink in just a second now I'm, I'm probably I've already said it maybe I've been a little uh, praying through this week because I realized that I probably have a really good opportunity to offend some people today it'll be my first time today <laughs> it'll be my first time today but I hope that you'll, that you'll listen and that you'll bear with me as we process really what the Word teaches. So here's what it says. Chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says, Accept the one whose faith is weak. And the word accept, just so you know, in the Greek, in the original context, it means to receive kindly. <laughs> How many of you are already a thing? I'm struggling already. To receive kindly. Open your heart and your home to other people. Man, it's a whole different thing for me to receive you kindly and then to ask you to come to my house and receive you kindly into my house. Am I the only Southerner that feels that way? I mean, we're hospitable, right? To bring into your circle of acquaintances. So here's the thing. Here's what Paul's saying. We're not just to put up with each other. We're to do life at the deepest level with, with each other. And just so you know, in the original Greek, it's in the present imperative, which means that this is not a suggestion, it is a command. Paul is saying, listen, what I'm telling you is you're a diverse group of people from the very rich to the very poor, from the very religious to the non-religious, and you, all of these different people, different uh, perspectives on life, different backgrounds, you're all coming together. And here's what I'm telling you. It's a command that I want you to accept each other. It's not a suggestion. And I want you to continue to do this, not just on Sunday, but literally every day of your life. And then he says this, and I just think this is awesome. He said, accept the one whose faith is weak. And of course, in the original context, what he means, this word weak, is referring to all non-Baptists. We got a few Baptists in the house. I don't know if you're mad or what. I thought it was funny. I literally wrote that. I thought that was really funny. I think it's really important for us to understand that he's not talking about being weak in the sense of saving faith. Now, are you ready? Hang on. 
He's talking about weak in the sense that some folks were holding on to some old religious traditions. Oh! Y'all still with me? Anybody left yet? Lock the doors! We'll talk more about that in a minute. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And then he talks a little bit about what these disputable matters actually are. He said, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak only eats vegetables. And so there'll be no, best, uh, there'll be no vegetarians in heaven. And let me just say, I think there'll be more steak than chicken. This is not what this is talking about. I, just, I thought that was funny too, but obviously y'all didn't. He said, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So the Gentile believers did not have these, these dietary constraints. The Jews had dietary constraints. There, there, there was certain foods that they could not eat. There were certain foods that they could eat. And so, the, and so these Gentiles were not bound by the old Mosaic dietary laws like the Jewish believers had been, listen, had been for thousands of years. Be careful when you beat up the, these Jewish folks because it's our tendency, right, to beat them up because they're, they're, they're a little bit too religious. They're holding on to the law. They're holding on to laws that they made, not that God gave, but laws that they made up. And so it's easy to become critical and to think that we're a little bit better than them. And that's what exactly what was happening in this text. So y'all keeping up? The weak Christians, those who clung to the dietary laws, which just sounds really weird to me. Because I think that we, in our context, at least in the culture that I've been raised in, the church culture that I've been raised in, strong Christians are the ones who know the most of the Word and who are following the Word a little bit more in detail, maybe legalistically, with some things. He said the weak Christians, those who clung to dietary laws, were condemning the stronger Christians, those who enjoyed their freedom, and the strong Christians were condemning the weaker ones. And here's what he's saying, stop it, both of you. You're both wrong. Stop it. So to give you the proper context, just so you know, he's actually writing about two issues that was going on in the early Roman church. One was whether Christians should eat meat or should be vegetarian. The second one was whether certain days should be observed as holy days or not. And the biblical scholars are not exactly sure about the circumstances of the disputes, but what we do know is this, is that these disputes, the result was that some of these people thought that they were better than others. Have you experienced that in your life among other Christians where some Christians kind of look down their self-righteous nose at other people like they just think they're better than them? They're more righteous than them. They're more holy than them. Has anybody, anybody but me maybe experienced that? I've experienced that among other pastors. He says, stop it. So there was conflict and division in the church because of these disputable matters. And I don't know that things have changed, really, in 2,000 years. I mean, we're not upset about dietary laws or holy days anymore, but we still have our disputes. 
And I, most of what I even jotted down, I thought, I don't even know if there are disputes anymore. And one of the first things I wrote down was musical style. Musical style. Y'all were looking at me like, what? Well, when we first started, we were the only church in town that had a band. Can I, can I just say, people said I was going straight to hell. I mean, they just were. They said, you know, he's pastoring his church. He's leading his church astray. I mean, we all know that you can't have a guitar and drums in church. And it'd be holy. <clears throat> and then we did some rock and roll stuff. Oh! I mean, people, I mean, there was all kind of stuff about the beat and the music. It was a big deal. Musical style was a big deal. Mode of baptism. Y'all don't care about mode of baptism, but a lot of people do. And is it going to be sprinkled? Or if you're really, if you're Southern Baptist, if you're like us, you don't understand that the word baptizo, baptizo means to fully dip, fully immerse. And so those that sprinkle, you're completely out of God's will. I've known, I've, known, I've known other pastors, Baptist pastors, who looked at someone who was sprinkled and said, you cannot become a member of our church until, because this is, this is a big deal. You can't, we can't take a sprinkling, because that's not what the Word teaches. Dress. You have no idea what I've been through in the last 25 years. A pastor wearing jeans? It's a bigger deal than you think. Still a bigger deal than you think. And some people say, well, you got to wear your best when you go to church. If you were going to see the president, wouldn't you put on a suit? I said, well, you don't know me very well. <laughs> like, I wouldn't. But a lot of people would. But I said, let me ask you this. If you go to see your dad, do you wear a suit? Just a thought. Bible versions, which translation is the right translation? Is it King Jimmy or is it another translation? It was a big deal for a long time for a lot of people. Clapping in church. I should have put laughing in church. You have no earthly idea the controversy that Springwell Church caused when people when the word got out that we clapped in church. We, we do. We clap in church. I, you know, I, most of our folks don't know any better. About 50% of our people really don't come from a church background. So if something's good, they clap. We didn't tell you. Oh, you can't do that in church. And then people laugh in church. They say we laugh a lot at Springwell. I think y'all laugh a lot at me. I'm not sure if that's good. But we laugh a lot. And I've literally had people say, that can't be, that can't be right. You can't laugh in church. It's not being respectful. I mean, I, listen, I serve the very author and the giver of life. He's the one who gave us laughter. Did you read Ecclesiastes? Laughter is actually good medicine. It cures the heart, the soul. I can't even talk about this next one. I'm just going to say it, and then I'm going to move really, quite, really fast. Drinking alcohol. See, I, see, I can see some of y'all through the haze. I was just raised if you had a can of beer, you going straight to hell. I just was. And, and, and yet, at the same time, we believe once saved, always saved. So you understand why I'm so confused. <laughs> Parenting preferences, oh my gosh. Politics, oh. I mean, I got friends that believe you can't even be a Democrat and be a Christian. I mean, if you say you're a Democrat, I mean, I write off, well, you're, you know, you don't believe the truth. 
I'm literally, I've heard that. You can't talk about politics in church. People get angry about Halloween. We still occasionally will we'll hear things when we do even Candy Dash. How do you let people show up from the community dressed like that? I go, I don't know. I don't, do we stand at the road and check them? I don't know. I don't. We're just here to love people. Santa Claus, yeah, it's been a big deal over the years. Here's the thing. In spite of all the things that we agree on, and that's a lot, we tend to focus on the things that we disagree on. It was Augustine who said that in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. The thing is, and I thought this was funny too, it's disputable as to what disputable matters are. Right? In other words, is it a hill worth dying on? And I'll go ahead and tell you now, there are some hills worth dying on. I read recently uh, when I was preparing for this, uh, for this message um, about the relationship between, uh, between two of England's greatest preachers of the 1800s. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. Any of you ever heard of Charles Haddon Spurgeon? Where are you people been? <clears throat> like, he's awesome. I mean, he was awesome. Uh, actually, if I'm not mistaken, probably pastored the largest church in Europe at that time. And so uh, they were, these two guys were really, really good friends until they had a disagreement. And Spurgeon accused his buddy, old Joseph, of being unspiritual because he went to the theater. So you can't go to the theater. I would say theater, but that sounds way too southern, and it just sounds like it should be theater, right? He said, you can't be spiritual at all. I mean, you go to the theater. And Parker pointed out that Spurgeon couldn't, be, couldn't be possibly be spiritual. You know why? Because he smoked cigars. And, this will mess y'all up, rumor is, and I did my research, that on occasion he would have an adult beverage. I just sounded better than saying beer on Sunday morning. It just felt better. <clears throat> so I would probably say that the theater and smoking cigars are disputable matters. Wouldn't you? Maybe not. But in case you think I may be taking a verse out of context, let me just drop down to verse 19. It says like this, So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Following Jesus <clears throat> means accepting each other along with the different opinions that we might have. And this acceptance, it's much more than just tolerating other people. It, it literally, it means to receive others with open arms. And some of us really will struggle to do that, won't we? Welcoming and embracing others no matter how differently we might actually see things. And just so you know, all this is on the basis of the way that God accepts each of us for Jesus' sake. So let me go back to verse, verse 3 in, in chapter 14 again. We can't look down on others or condemn others because God has already accepted them. See, here's the, here's the problem that you're struggling with right now. You, do you really understand what the blood of Jesus did for us on the cross? 
do you, do you understand that what Jesus did on the cross settled the issue of sin? In chapter 15, verse 7, he says this, Therefore accept each other just as, in Christ, just as Christ Jesus has accepted you so that God will be given the glory. So, God has welcomed the people around us with open arms and embraced all of us as members of his family. And it's not because, it's not because we keep all the right rules or even that we hold all of the correct, all of the right theological opinions. But it's on the basis of what Jesus has done that he has given his life for us on the cross and has made us right with, with the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit in faith. And this has been Paul's argument through the whole letter of Romans. I read that there were uh, these two friends, Nate and Sam, and they were talking, and, and Sam said to Nate, said, Nate, dude, you get along with everybody. I mean, you really, really get along with just, I mean, everybody. How do you do it? And, and Nate said, well, it's easy. It's easy. I, I, just, I just don't disagree with anybody, no matter what. And Sam said, that's impossible. You can't possibly. It just, there's no way. And to which Nate said, you're absolutely right. That's, that's pretty good right there. You have to think about it. So, let me see if I can maybe pull some of you that are on the fence back in because I can maybe sense that there's some struggle. So is that what Paul's talking about here? Do we just agree with everybody on everything? That's not what he's saying. That is not what he's saying. You may be thinking, but aren't there matters that aren't disputable? Absolutely. There are. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sins. And God raised his son on the third day. That's not disputable. That's a non-negotiable. The virgin birth for me, believe it or not, it's, it's a non-negotiable. And people have said over years, well, that's, surely you don't have to believe. And I go, so you believe that he raised him on the third day, but he couldn't. Hello, I don't, understand, I don't understand your logic. I'll be honest with you, for me, if you've been here for any time at all, I, I love the Word. I believe that it's inerrant, infallible. I'd preach the maps and table of contents if I knew how. I don't know how. And, and for me, that's one of those things where it's a non-negotiable. Why? Because we have to have some basis for our belief. And I love it when I find somebody else that can say, let's go to this text. Let me tell you what I see. Let, let me help. Maybe you didn't understand this about the culture. Maybe you, don't, you didn't understand this about the, um, about the Greek language. Maybe you've missed something. I love it when that happens. It stimulates growth for me. But I have to have a basis for what we believe. But when we become argumentative over issues that don't really matter, we just fail to see how big God really is. One of the things that God did for me was, was doing missions worldwide. And doing missions worldwide, the beauty of that is I'm able to look and to see that God is so much bigger than my little Greer world. I know it's hard for you to believe because, like, Greer's awesome. 
But the world's bigger than Greer's, bigger than Taylor's, it's bigger than Greenville, it's bigger than, than South Carolina. It actually is. And I saw the beauty of what God has done in other countries through other denominations who maybe have a little bit different style. They do it a little bit different. Do they hold to the essentials of the faith? They absolutely do. Does it look like us on a Sunday morning doing what we do? No. Does it mean that they're wrong? It doesn't. It means that God is using those people in a beautiful way to reach people that we would never, ever reach. And that's what we've been doing, you know, for pushing 30 years as a church is we've been doing it differently than other churches. We've been criticized. And I've always said, if you can take the word and show me that we're wrong, I'll apologize. Man, I'll get up in front of my people and say, I missed it on this one. I am sorry. I want to lead you in, in truth. But there's a lot of freedom here with musical style and dress. So how are we going to treat people who have different opinions to us? When we look down on them because they don't do things the way we do them? Or will we accept each other in the same way that God has accepted us for Jesus' sake? Has this been difficult? Has this been like a hard message? Y'all still love me? At all? Like a little bit? Can you still love me just a little bit? Thank you. I just want to lead you to the best of my ability and truth. And to help you to see the beauty of what God, who God is, and He's so much bigger than you could possibly imagine. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and maybe you've heard this message and it sounded a little bit weird or a little bit strange. But here's the message. Here's what I want you to know. If you're not a follower of Jesus and maybe you're just here to kind of check out the whole Jesus thing, I want you to know that God is absolutely crazy about you. And I want you to know, listen, it's not just, it's not just words on a page. It's not just words on a page, but but God proved it by sending his son. God said, I love you so much and you're never going to be good enough. No matter how good you are, it'll never be good enough. No matter how much you improve, you'll never be able to improve enough. You'll never be able to do anything that will deserve heaven. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide a way for you. And that's exactly what he did. And so God sent his very own son. And Jesus, who was born of a virgin, the very son of God, he went to the cross. And on the cross, listen to what he did. He shed his blood. You know why? To pay the penalty for all of our sin. All of our sin. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And Jesus is alive. And why is that important? Because if he didn't have any power over death, hell, and the grave, how will he give us any hope of having any power here on earth, much less the hope of heaven? He's alive and he's well. And right now, he's just whispering in your ear, and he's telling you that he loves you. So if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you would just say, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for loving me more than I could possibly imagine. And thank you for truth. 
And the truth of it is, is that, God, it's taken me a long time to be able to really understand the depth of your love. But to understand it and to get it and to be able to embrace it. Jesus, that you love me. So much that you would be willing to die on the cross for me. And I know you're alive because I can feel your presence with me right now. So I'm asking you to the best of my ability to forgive me of all my sin. And just like that boy stepped into that offering plate, God, the only reasonable response for me after all that you've done for me would be for me to fully surrender my life to you. And that is my desire. is to give you every part of me. Lord, uh, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the beauty of your word. Sometimes, Lord, your word is... um, difficult sometimes and sometimes we don't know how to embrace it Lord I pray that we will to be thankful for it Lord that you give us instruction to tell us how to live and how to love the way that you love I pray that we'll be a church that will follow your word to the best of our ability, Lord, that we'll cling to it. And that, Lord, we'll allow you to instruct us through it. Encourage us. Convict us. So that our relationship with you and with each other will grow stronger every single day. It's in the sweet name of Jesus that we pray.